You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you want to turn your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses uh, 14 to 30 here this morning. We'll be, we're in the ESV uh, Bible translation. I'm going to turn there. Uh, does anyone uh, need a Bible in their hands? All right, we have a, a taker. Um, I'm going to pass that down. Anyone else need a Bible? We want to turn there together here in a moment. Awesome. This, the passage we're going to look at here in a moment is, is like a day in the life of Jesus. I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen, um, I don't even know if it's a TV show or looking at people's lives, maybe looking at what they do for work, how they get up in the morning, what their routine is. Uh, usually, of course, it's a work day that they look at, a day in the life. Um, the passage we're going to look at today happens on a Saturday. So I don't know, it'd be interesting, a day in the life of, of if you work Monday through Friday, what do you do on a Saturday? If you have a certain routine that you go through that you always kind of do the same thing or you're pretty sporadic, I'm not sure. But if you could go back to Jesus' time, and you're like, what would it look like for Jesus on a Saturday? Uh, This passage highlights that. It highlights a specific day. Of course, the Saturday was a Sabbath for the Jews. So a specific day, a Saturday, there's a specific teaching that we see here. There's also, I think, a pattern we see in Jesus' life. That he would be doing this actually every Saturday. Uh, Teaching ministering all throughout his ministry and then also the thing that he teaches specifically I want us to see that as well so we'll see this pattern for his life and ministry the scripture that he reads is a pattern that he walks a path that he walks uh, for his life and ministry and I want us to see how we're called to walk and follow this as well if you want to stand with me as we read uh, God's word together Luke chapter 4, starting in verses 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. 
And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many leopards in Israel at the time of the prophets Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. May God bless this word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. And before going on any further, I'd like again to go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord... I thank you for this scripture uh, that we've read. I pray uh, for myself, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, to proclaim it, uh, to speak it, to give me clarity of speech and thought, courage and boldness. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, give us all ears to hear and and hearts that are soft. Oh Lord, for your word. I pray, oh God, that you would uh, use it to reveal our own hearts. I pray you would use it to allow us to see Jesus Christ more clearly. And oh God, may you just draw people to yourself, those who do not know you. Oh Lord, may they believe. And many of us who do, who do believe, Lord, help us walk in the freedom we have in Christ. So Lord, all these things we cannot do, and I cannot do, so I just pray, God, in your kindness, in your mercy, and your love, May you speak to us from your word this morning. We've come to hear a word from you. Oh God, may you speak. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this message I've called Proclaiming the, the Lord's Favor. You'll see why I call it that. I, I hope. I hope it'll be clear enough as we continue on. Where I want to start there, verses 14 to 15, it's kind of like uh, out of the, the rest of the story. I want to see Jesus is getting to work. That's what's happening here. Jesus is getting to work. Verses 14 to 15 uh, is, is really actually like a summary statement. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This is now the start of, in Luke's gospel, Jesus' Galilean ministry. He, he does this ministry from this part in the scripture to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. That's when it's a change. So it's a big segment of his ministry, of his teaching, starting here in Galilee. And I think it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a big chunk of time that he doesn't clarify how much it is. There's a lot that's happening in those two verses. Because enough that there's a report going out around the surrounding area. And enough that he was teaching in their synagogue, so many, plural, and being glorified or being um, praised by many. But, so think about that. I think it's a summary statement, and then we'll go into talking about kind of a day in the life of Christ. But I want you to see this also first. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He returned. If you were with us last week, you know Jesus was just in the wilderness. He was being tempted. He was being tested by the devil for 40 days. And we see those three specific temptations kind of at its, at its end. And, of course, Jesus, he resisted them all. He was faithful. And I, w- I want you to see, after those 40 days 
in the desert. He hadn't eaten for those 40 days, and, and he went through some hard times and some trials, but he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he's not coming back limping. He's not coming back exhausted, but victorious after having just faced the devil. And he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, Luke's gospel, Luke really highlights the work of the Spirit in Jesus' life and in our life as believers. And so I, I, would, if, I would encourage you to write in your Bible. And some of you think that's sacrilegious. I don't think it is. I think, hey, note all the times it talks about the Spirit uh, doing the work of ministry in Jesus' life. And think if Jesus came back in the power of the Spirit, how much more do I need the power of the Holy Spirit? How much more do you need the power of the Holy Spirit? His filling, His leading. We need to continually surrender. Holy Spirit, have your way in me today. Lord, give me the power I need to live for you. I, I can't do it on my own. We need to keep praying that over and over again. So if Jesus walked in the power of the Spirit, how much more do we need to? So just, again, a marker in your Bible just, I would keep underlining as you keep seeing it. I'm going to, there's a few other times I'm going to ask you to underline in your Bible. Maybe I'll, I'll wear you down by the message. And, but I, I kind of already talked about that. There's this report, reports that were going out. He was actively ministering. Just in those two verses, that's what's happening. He came to get to work. This is speaking again of a longer time. Luke doesn't quantify. Even as it's mentioned there, when we're looking at later on, verse 23, he says, what you have heard you, what we've heard you do in Capernaum, like we've, they've already heard of what's been going on in the ministry, but it's not told us what has happened. There's a lot of time that's not covered here. I, I, I think it could be a, in John's gospel, John chapter 1 to chapter 4, that could be the ministry that happened just in those few verses where he went to the, the wedding, he turned the water into wine, uh, where he went and met the woman at the well, where he went and he, he healed um, an official son from Capernaum. I think all that was happening in those couple of verses. And even to kind of summarize it, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 37 to 38, Peter, as he's talking to Gentiles about the Lord, he kind of summarizes it this way. Acts chapter 10, verses 37 to 38. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. There it is again. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And the reason I'm just, I'm just pointing this out, I think there's so much more ministry that's happening there, but for whatever reason, Luke just makes this statement, this is what's happening, and then he goes to his time at Nazareth. And, uh, I, th I think Nazareth, the time of Nazareth, actually happened at a different time. And so we're going to go to that now. Verses 16 to 30 was a homecoming uh, for Jesus. But I want you to see Jesus was, he was just getting to work. He was doing ministry. And all of a sudden, though, we, we look at this kind of snapshot of his time in Nazareth, which I think happened at a different time because Matthew and Mark, the synoptic gospels, what that means is like, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are close. They're similar. They have a similar pattern, of kind of a similar timeline, mostly, similar teachings. We call it synoptic gospels. Matthew and Mark have this time at Nazareth happening much further into the Galilean ministry. 
I don't think Luke was concerned about that time. I think in those two verses, he's like, yeah, he was ministering. Now let me tell you about a specific time when he went to Nazareth. I think that's what is happening here. And you're going you're gonna to see, I think it's such a significant time. Luke's like, I don't want you to miss not only the pattern of his life and ministry in this day, but the message that he shared was actually the pattern of the rest of the gospel of Luke or the rest of the gospels. This is what he did. I hope you can see that. So verse 16, so Luke picks up this, this story, a day in the life of Christ. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. I want us to see Jesus preaching the word and living it. He came to Nazareth. I don't know if you remember, if you've been with us for a time as we looked early on, Nazareth, like no one even knows where it is on the map. Actually, it was such a small, insignificant town. I even love, though, I have one commentator says this, the, vel- the village is estimated to have had a population of less than 400. They've been quite poor. Since excavations have uncovered no paved streets, public structures, inscriptions, or fine pottery. That is, if they even have the right place. Like, it was such a small place on the map, they're like, they're not even sure where it was. So Jesus returns to the place that he grew up, the place that we saw in Luke chapter 2, that he was uh, obedient to his parents. He grew up in the favor of God and of men. And what does it say? And as was his custom, there in verse 16, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As was his custom, as usual, as was his normal practice, right? On a Saturday, the Sabbath, you knew where to find Jesus. He was at the synagogue. He was, al- he was always at the synagogue. It was his custom. It was his habit. I want you to see that Jesus was religious. And we should be too where it's helpful. Right? Like the, the word religious, like doing something habitually in order to like uh, kind of praise God or seek the Lord, it has such a negative connotation. But Jesus, as was his habit, he was always in the synagogue. That's a, that's a good thing. And for us, as much as we can, can we make it a practice to regularly gather with God's people to worship, to pray, to open the word and fellowship? And of course, we're, we're always saying like, Lord, let my heart be right in doing that. Not that I'm just like head down going through the motions. Yeah, I, I go to church on Sunday because that's what you do. You're like, no, I, I get to worship with the Lord. I get to gather with God's people. I get to sing songs to God with, with those around me. It's a blessing. And so I think we can follow Jesus' footsteps here as his habit was to go to the synagogue. May our habit be going on a Sunday morning to the place of worship or, or if there's another day that you can gather. So he went to the synagogue. The synagogue for sure is not a church, but where we get much of our form from, what we do. Synagogue means gathering place. And, and the synagogue uh, came into being more after the Babylonian exile, the Jews were in Jerusalem, and of course the focus was on the temple. Everyone would go to the temple. This is where you worship God. As they disobeyed God over and over again, God brought in judgment upon them in form of the Babylonians who destroyed the temple and took them into exile. So in that time, as they're exiled, they're like, how do you worship God? And the kind of the synagogue system was developed. We still want to learn God's word. We still want to worship him. And so even as they returned out of exile, you had these synagogues. Apparently, you needed just um, 10 or more Jewish males, 13 or older, in order to form a synagogue. 13 was kind of like the level of becoming a man. You need 10 Jewish males, 13 or older, you could form a synagogue. 
And uh, we're going to see a pattern of what Jesus did at the synagogue. Interesting, this is the earliest uh, history we have of the synagogue. We know what they did later on in years, but this is the earliest history we have of the synagogue. We're going to see there's, there's some reading of the, of the scriptures. There's usually a prayer to start that's not recorded here in Luke. Usually they'd read some of the law, the first five books of, of the Old Testament. Someone would read that. Someone would read something from the prophets. They would stand to do it. I'm like, oh, yes, well, Jesus stood. I don't know if the rest of the crowd did. Uh, but Jesus stood, and then they would actually sit down. The person who read would sit down and then give explanation, as we're going to see. I don't, that would be hard. That would be hard. I don't know, I, lo- I love to move around. That would be really strange for me, uh, culturally, to sit down. So I want you to see this. Look what happens. Jesus, as was his habit at the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And just like a scroll of Isaiah, they didn't have any paragraph markers. There were no numbers. Just a bunch of Hebrew letters. And so he had to know scripture really well to know where to go to. I just want to point that out. Jesus, of course, we would assume he knew scripture so well that he gets the scroll and he knows how to go to the right place to read the passage and I just also want to point this out to you. It's really cool. There's a place in Innisfail called the Dino Center. They have mini golf. There's a creation kind of uh, creation museum. But in there, they also have this like this scroll of Isaiah. Like it's a copy, but you could look at what does a scroll of Isaiah look like rolled out. And you just notice, you're like, there is no markings. There's just tons of Hebrew. So uh, just something to check out. Like what would a scroll of Isaiah look like? You can actually go see, not so uh, far away from us, and go look what it was. So he unrolls to Isaiah, standing up to read. Look at verse 18 with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amazing. The passage that he's reading, written in Isaiah, was written before the, the Jews went into exile. But it was, it was meant to be like as a promise that in the future when you go into exile and you're in a foreign land, you can, there can be hope that God's going to bring you back, that he's going to set things right. And even this passage there in Isaiah, it's Isaiah 61, 1-2. Also maybe a little bit of Isaiah 58, verse 6 as well. But so he reads this passage from Isaiah, and even as it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that term, Spirit of the Lord, it's meant to link with previous statements made in Isaiah. Talking about the servant of the Lord. If you read through chapters 40 to 55 over and over again, you're going to see the servant of the Lord and what he was and what he was called to do. We'll be looking at that on Good Friday. Isaiah 53, the servant of the Lord. And so... There was this clear linking of 62 or 61 to what was said before is a well-known passage. Everyone would say, yeah, that'll be a great day. That'll be a great day when that happens. And like looking towards the future. One day. I love what's said next in verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Is is this the greatest sermon ever? (laughs) Really? Maybe in terms of length? (laughs) Like that was it. That's all he had to say. (laughs) And like, just like, wow, think about what's being said. This this book of Isaiah was written 700 years previous before the, the birth of Christ. And he stands up and he reads it and everyone's expectation of one day, looking in the distance, one day it's going to happen. And he says, today, it has been fulfilled. Today. That's what Jesus does. He fulfills scripture. That's what he does. Again, I I would encourage you, underline that in your Bible. If you do it, today it has been fulfilled. I actually had to underline it this morning. I'm like, I know I'm going to ask people to do it. So I underlined in my own Bible. Jesus fulfills scripture. Notice the pattern in his birth. He was born to a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He fulfills scripture. In his life, in his ministry, happening in Galilee, all the things that he did, in his death, in his resurrection, he fulfills scripture. That's what he does. Even at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, 44, Jesus has risen from the grave speaking to his disciples. And he says this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus fulfills scripture. That is what he does. Friends, even as he says, today it has been fulfilled. This is the start of the messianic era. Changing of times. That which everyone was looking forward to was now happening in the present with Jesus Christ. Like, it's it's phenomenal. It was fulfilled in the moment, and it was fulfilled in his ministry, in all that he did. If you'll remember what I read to you there from Isaiah, look at Luke chapter 7, verse 20 to 23 with me for a moment. Is John the Baptist in jail. And he's sending Jesus some disciples, ask him some questions. Luke 7, verse 20, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Listen to this. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by them. Jesus lives out this passage throughout his ministry. He, Jesus preaches the word. He lives the word. Of course, we know he is the word. He fulfills the word. That's what he does. That's, that's what he did. He was in synagogues on Saturdays. Preaching and then fulfilling it in his life and his ministry. So Jesus was preaching the word and living it. In verse 22 to 27, you think, what an amazing message. It can only get better. We already we read the passage. Now we see, though, that Jesus, not only does he preach the word, he exposes hearts. He's always exposing hearts. We'll see it goes from cheering to jeering. 
In verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. If we could just stop right there, close it. Like, man, that's great. That's, that's wonderful. But it continues on. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And I think even as they're saying that, is this not Joseph's son? I believe it's like sarcastic. I believe it's with doubt. Because we'll see what happens after. And again, if asking, like, is it, isn't this Joseph's son? Which we've seen if you've been with us in Luke's gospel. As if you look at his genealogy, we know, no, it's, it's not Joseph's son at all. There was no human father. But th- I think there's a lot of doubt and sarcasm in that. Because as we look at the synoptic gospels, again, Matthew and Mark, when they relate this story of Jesus at Nazareth, uh, in, in Mark 13, 53 to 58, it's just Mark, or sorry, Matthew, Matthew 13, 53 to 58. Matthew notes in verse 57 that they took offense with him, that there was unbelief in the crowd. In Mark, in his kind of uh, rendering of the story, Mark 6, 1 to 6, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 3, interesting, this is the crowd, him at Nazareth, and they say, is not this the carpenter? Not even that Joseph was a carpenter, but that Jesus was a carpenter. Isn't this the carpenter? And in verse 5 and 6 of Mark chapter 6, it says this, and, and Jesus, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. So I think all that is being said in that, is this not Joseph's son? I don't think it's like an actual, I think it's sarcastic. It's like, who, who is this guy? Because look at how Jesus continues on after in verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. As in, if, if you're so good, show us something. Jesus says, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So like rumors were spreading, he had done ministry. They wanted to see something. In verse 24, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. He called himself a prophet. We need to note that. Leon Morris says this, people are always more ready to see greatness in strangers than in those they know well. Especially when it's someone who grew up in this small, insignificant town, and now he, he's, the, he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's like, no, no, we know who you are. You're the carpenter. What are you doing? And so Jesus is just stating this. But it even gets even more intense than that. Because again, I think their hearts are being exposed. What he's about to share from Scripture, again, just exposing their hearts, being laid bare. Look at verse 25, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. It's Elijah, 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, if you want to see. Didn't rain for three and a half years because Israel is so disobedient, they're worshiping Baal. Worshiping idols. And then Elijah, he's sent out of the land to this widow. And God provides for the widow in Elijah. And then 
her son as well. But just, just think, like, why would that rub them the wrong way? And then he tells another story. It's like, hey, Elijah didn't stay in the land. He left, and he went to a Gentile. And he tells another story. In verse 27, and there were many leopards in, in Israel in the time of the prophets Elisha, in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. The second Kings chapter 5, if you want to read up on it. Again, so Naaman's a Syrian. He's pointing to the north. Jesus is saying, hey, even though Israel was in need, the prophet went north. And I guess uh, Josephus points out that the Galileans really did not like the Syrians. Like they were like their sworn enemies. And so Jesus for sure would have known that growing up there. And he's pointing out that actually like God's kindness, God's mercy would even include these people. Remember the passage that he read from Isaiah talking about those who are held captive, those who are poor, those who are uh, needing freedom. What Jesus is saying, hey, it's, it's not just for the Jewish people. It's who, whoever is held captive, whoever is in bondage. That's why the Spirit of the Lord is upon that person, the Messiah, is to bring freedom. And it doesn't just include this one little small group. It's much bigger than that. It's like they didn't know that the promise made to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that, that someone would come from Abraham would be a blessing to all nations. David Garland notes this, two Old Testament illustrations further define the meaning of the poor, captives, blind, and oppressed who will receive good news and release. It will also include desolate widows, unclean lepers, and Gentiles. Again, saying this, this exposes their hearts. They wanted miracles. They wanted to see something. They didn't want to get preached at. In, in essence, though, they're also, the way they react, they were not the captives. They were not the oppressed. They were not to be likened to Gentiles. Right? If we, as we're going to look at how they reacted, their hearts got exposed. They're like, yeah, that would be great if all those things could happen. And Jesus, as he goes to give these examples, they just got mad. They got angry. That's what Jesus' message does. That's what his ministry did. It exposed, exposed hearts. That's what he still does today. He exposes our hearts. Again, this is just in the life of Jesus. He would preach a message. It seemed like there would be like this great, like joyful, like yes. And as he continued on, hearts would get exposed. And many would not like it. As we see, look at verses 28 to 30, Jesus facing, facing opposition. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, with rage, with anger. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. It's, it's crazy. If you've never read it before, I, I wish I could read it with just newness of life of like, I've never read, like, what is so shocking? This is his pattern of ministry, teaching. We're doing some miracle, and, and some believe. 
And then he kind of presses it further and he exposes hearts. And then opposition comes. Like what we see here in this day in Nazareth happens all throughout his ministry. Even as you, you think in a few weeks, as you, we think about Palm Sunday as he came in and everyone's shouting, Hosanna to the Lord. And they're putting down palm branches and like, this is our expected king. And then a few days later, that same crowd has now moved and they're saying, crucify him. It's, it's so shocking. This is his ministry. Facing opposition. Even what is said here, James Edwards points out, this is a foreshadowing of the Christian mission. For in Acts, both Stephen and Paul will be thrown outside the city with murderous intent. So in anger, they take him to a hill to throw him off. (laughs) And then you have verse 30. I love it. But passing through their midst, he went away. But passing through their midst, he went away. Does anyone wish you're like, Luke, is there any more detail that you could give us here? And he doesn't give it to us. For whatever reason, the Holy Spirit's like, as Luke's writing, that's all we need. I pick, like, I don't know what happened. It's this angry mob, and they're like, they're intent on throwing Jesus off, and something, to the extent of Jesus, he left them. And he walked through the crowd, that was, and he went on his way. And in heaven, there's so many things I'm like, Lord, can I see that? I just want to visually see what happened there. This is one of those things I totally want to see. But we need to know that Jesus wasn't going to go when it was not his time. Right? John's gospel, John 7, 30, another time Jesus teaching, facing opposition. John 7, verse 30, it says, They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It was not his time. He came to die on the cross for our sins. There wasn't an angry crowd who was going to go a different way against God's will. So we know that. God's sovereign hand is like, this is not how it's going to happen. But we have no idea the details of how that did. We see Jesus constantly facing opposition. Do you see the pattern? His teaching, his ministry, some believe. Even at first it seems like many believe. But then as he goes on, hearts get exposed. People are challenged and he faces opposition over and over and over again. But friends, I I want us to go back in the passage to verse 18 and 19. I want us to really think on the year of the Lord's favor. The passage he read there from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I believe that we see in this passage of Isaiah, this is his pattern for ministry. This is what he came to do. This is what he did, right? So I'm I'm saying, hey, within the whole passage, this was like what he did in a day when he went to synagogues, his life. Within this passage, Jesus is like, these are my priorities. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish. This is what he did. And of course, there's like a physical aspect of how he fulfilled it, and the course there's a spiritual aspect of how he fulfilled this passage here in Isaiah he says the spirit is a is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor for sure financially poor it's speaking of that that Jesus came he's he's reaching those who are 
who are on the outskirts of society, financially poor, but he went, came to the tax collectors. They weren't poor. They were spiritually bankrupt. He came to the prostitutes. He came to the sinners, those who are outcasts of society, with a message. We're going to see that throughout Luke's gospel. He came to proclaim good news. Going on there in, in Luke, Jesus said, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He, he did actually heal people who were blind and give them physical sight. And for sure he gave people spiritual sight who were spiritually blind. Think about even what's, what is said there. Coming to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And that's why so many were in anticipation, like, oh, is he going to free us from Roman rule? He's going to be the one. And he didn't come to set them free from Roman oppression, but he came to set them free from being captive to the devil to do his will. And he, he literally fulfills that. We see that in his ministry. He's casting out demons. Look at next week. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God has come. He's fulfilling what was said by Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is coming to do that. And he ends this section to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I believe he's, he's hinting at the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee in the Old Testament in Leviticus 25, every six or every uh, seven years, they were to like kind of let the land rest. And every seven years times those seven years, so if you will, the 49th, 50th year, there was to be a year of Jubilee. They were to blow the ram's horn and basically debts were to be canceled. People who had sold their land because they didn't have enough money, the land was to go back to that family. People had sold themselves into slavery because they couldn't cover everything they had. They were to go free. Like that's what's being spoken of here when it says, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Messiah had come. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Debts are forgiven. Slaves are released. That's what he's proclaiming. But it wasn't like what we saw happen in Leviticus 25. It's even greater than that. I want you to see this here this morning. I want you to hear, I hope you have, the call of freedom from this passage. I don't know if you've heard it. I'm going to proclaim it. So friends, Jesus actually literally did these things. And in Christ, there actually is a literal year of the Lord's favor. And he did it on the cross. Dying for our sins, taking our shame, taking the punishment we deserved, paying all of our debts upon himself. Right? If you think in terms of slavery, if you're not in Christ, you're a slave to the devil. And all of us are until the day we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And we're like, oh no, no, Jesus on the cross, he paid my debt. And now I can be set free. And he did it through his death, his burial, and resurrection. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Now is the day of salvation. Like it's actually available to all who put their faith 
and trust in Christ, asking for forgiveness of sins. You can be made right with God. Today is the day of God's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. That's what's being proclaimed here. It's a real freedom that's offered us in Christ. Believe in him. Trust in him. Often we can read these passages and it's like the words, they just sit somewhere else. Like, oh, that's nice that Jesus said that. This is the living word of God. He accomplished it. He made it available to us, to all who would call upon his name. They would find freedom that he talks about here. Friends, those who are in Christ, don't be held captive by secret sins. Whether it's drinking, addicted to the screen, greed, bitterness, Lies, lust, whatever it is that comes to your mind, confess that before the Lord. He came to bring us freedom. He came to set the captives free. And whatever, maybe you've been struggling with something for a while, you need to confess, you need to bring it in the light. And maybe if you're struggling in such a way, you need to confess that to a brother or sister. You need someone to help walk with you, pray with you. There's a freedom that the Lord talks of here. Will we walk in it? Believers in Jesus Christ, don't be gripped by fear or anxiety. Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. That's a promise we continue to walk in, we continue to need. Let's walk in the freedom of the Lord that he has available to us. Friends, there are some here today who need to find freedom from the past. Right? Like you maybe see how something happened. We all have a past. We all have a history. Don't keep looking back. If you are in Christ, your past has been nailed to the cross. It's dealt with. He came to set the captives free. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Know that. Believe it. Walk in it. Those are not empty words. It's the word of God. And friends, I just want to share with you, if if God is shedding light on something in your life, if he's pressing in on something, confess that to him. Like, take the opportunity. Because honestly, if you don't deal with it, If you don't deal with it, your heart gets harder. That's the reality. Do you pray to the Lord if you're like, yeah, between me and God, I I need to deal with that? If you need to talk to someone else, talk to someone else. But don't leave here today without dealing with it. Why would you? I just see this, this call for freedom that he's given to us. Oh, friends, may our Christian life be a real one. And I I mean that like, man, we stumble, we fall, we're messed up. I'm messed up. And it's like step by step seeking to grow. But then I read this, it's glaring off the page. I'm like, oh, this is a real call to set the captives free. This is a real call that this is the year of the Lord's favor. We can walk in it. And he's so patient with us. Hear that today. It's it's just like wherever you're at, like, Lord, forgive me. Lord, change me. Take the next step. Take the next step in faith. But I read, and I'm like, more and more, I'm convicted. John 8, 36, whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. We add other things to it. We add other things to it. I heard how they, 
how they teach elephants not to move. I don't know if you've heard this. When they're little, when they're young, just hear this for a second. They tie uh, a metal chain around its leg. And so it struggles and fights, and it ends up like ripping the flesh. And it learns, I can't go. I, got, I have this chain around my leg. But as they get older, it's literally just a rope with a peg in the ground. But they're used to that on their leg, and they're like, I can't go anywhere. I think that's often... If we're, we're in Christ, we have freedom available to us. And yeah, there may be chains, but they're not to hold you back. Christ is so much more powerful. The Holy Spirit can set us free, and we can walk in it. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. May we believe it. Let us walk in increasing measure of the freedom we have in Christ. And friends, I just want to finish with this. There's a call to freedom, I hope you heard it. There's a call to follow what Christ has done. I just want you to see the word repeated three times here in this passage. It's proclaim. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you have the Spirit of the Lord on you and you've been born again, you have the calling on your life to proclaim these things. To proclaim good news. And friends, we've been told a lie. Our evangelism is not to be like a game of charades. You know the game where like, hey, you can't say anything, you can kind of act it out? No, our evan- we're to proclaim with our lips what Jesus has done. And who he is. And of course, our lives are supposed to match up. And there's a gap in between. That's why we need Christ. But we are to proclaim. We are to make known. Our witness is meant to be with our lips. And our job is to proclaim the message to the poor, to the outcast, to sinners like me and you. Those who are captive, spiritually blind, and proclaim, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what Jesus did on the cross? So friends, I just want to leave you with this. Will you pray? Pray for those who don't know Jesus in your life. Pray for them by name. And then look. Look for opportunities. And then proclaim the message, the good news. As Jesus proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, may we proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And and by God's grace, may we walk in it. If you'll bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray only by your spirit, seal this word in our hearts. Again, that which is from you, may it be sealed, may it be upon our hearts and our minds, and help us by your spirit to walk it. Oh, Lord, continue to expose our hearts. But then when we see our sin, may we see a greater Savior. And, oh, Lord, give us faith, give us trust. Give us greater freedom to walk in your ways as you've called us to. I pray for even those maybe who who know they're, they're in darkness. Lord, may they see the light. May they turn to you and may they believe. Continue to work amongst us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.